Hey there, my name is Dan. My name is Joshua, and, and we, we are, are the, the Unauthorized, Unauthorized Critics, Critics Circle. Circle. Now, Joshua, tell the listener what we do here at the UCC. With pleasure. Here at the UCC, we review theater with the normal bitcheries and qualms. By watching the video recordings from of questionable origins of various productions. This week, we are talking about applause, specifically the Encores Productions performance on February 8th, 2008. This video's out there. It's not the most publicly accessible, but if you know where to get these things, this thing will be around there. Shouldn't be too hard. Uh, we mention this because while we review the show itself, we also talk about the specific performance we've seen. The internet is filled with fans. So, without further ado, the curtain is now rising. You have to watch out with a fan, because sometimes a fan is more than just a fan. And that's scary, darling. Please enjoy our discussion of the February 8th, 2008 performance of Applause. Dan? Yeah? How do you feel? Well... I feel, you feel well. That's and great. Hey, folks, welcome manic. back to the Unauthorized Critics Circle. Home and Today collected about... and choking oh, with panic, but alive, but alive, but alive. But but how do you really feel? I feel hmm? groggy and weary and tragic, punchy and bleary and fresh out of magic, but alive, but alive, but alive. How do you really feel, though? I feel wicked and wacky and mellow, firm as Gibraltar and shaky as Jello, but alive, but alive, but alive. Is that what you tell yourself? I, I haven't been told that I'm anything but alive yet. Hi, folks. Hey, welcome back to the Unauthorized Critic Circle. Dan, what's up today? It was your pick. Yeah, it was. What did I pick? You picked the thing we're living for. Oh applause! Applause! <laughs> Christ almighty. How do you know the score this well? <laughs> what do you mean, how do I know the score this well? You've sung so much music so far. Truly, it's just like one verse with a bunch of different lyrics and then a chorus. <laughs> Well, let's not start critiquing the score already. Uh, that wasn't a critique of the score, okay? The score was. You just was said the entire the score is one verse with a couple of different lyrics. <laughs> no, wow. I said I sang so far. What I sang so far. Ah. What I sang so far. Ah. Oh, we're unhinged today. This is good. Are we? Oh, clearly. We're talking about applause. I admit I'm slightly cuckoo, but it's dull to be too sane. And you know who decided to take the method acting approach to Ooh, that line? We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Let's not blow the lead. Uh, folks, we're talking about the musical Applause, written by uh, Adam Compton and Strauss. Compton Green. Adam and Strauss and Condom and Green. Condom and Green? You heard me. Comden, Betty Comden, and Adolf Green, possibly the Uh-oh. last man named Adolf in history. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
God, he must not have been popular to have made that name expire. Applause! We're talking about an encore production of Applause from 2008. Let's let's start strictly with Applause, the musical. Let's start strictly with Applause. What did you know about Applause? What was your... No, well, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, yes. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I'm bowing like at the end of Rose's turn. Thank you. <laughs> applause, what did you know about it? What was your familiarity? <laughs> Oh, what was We're off the familiar. fucking rails already. Holy shit. I had seen the Lon Bacall movie, a TV movie, with Larry Hagman, who was Mary Martin's son, and I had seen this video before, and of course I have I have the vinyl. I have the vinyl. It's a terrific score. What did you know about Applause? I knew that there was a musical called Applause and that Lauren Bacall was in it, and I had genuinely no you could have that could have ended up being a parody musical for all I know. I knew absolutely nothing about it but like the poster. And I, I mean truly the first time I ever knew what this musical was about was uh, after you and I had a viewing of All About Eve and you told me that there was a musical version of this story. Yes, I did, I did. We uh, watched All About Eve together. And we did watch All About Eve. It was my first time ever seeing it. Yes, that's why we watched it together, because I'm tired of your bullshit. Well, listen, I explained the story at the end of last week's episode. Putting it up to speed, Dan and I have decided that we're going to... Well, Dan has decided for me that every year around Christmas time we're going to be watching a gay movie that I've never seen. I make good decisions for you. I, fucking, I decided yentl of my own fucking volition. I make so I pick the gay movie next year. This is no, no, yes. you don't. Yes, 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 yes. No, yes, you don't. Yes, 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 no, yes, you yes, don't. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes, yes. We're, We're doing Dawson's Fifty Load Weekend, and you're going to like it. What? You've never heard of Dawson's Fifty Load Weekend? No, but I. But from the title, I think you painted a picture. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess maybe Dawson's had a picture painted on him. <laughs> <laughs> hey Dan, this is my first time seeing all about Eve. Did you have you seen it before? <laughs> Please can we fucking just move on from that? I never said anything. Never said anything. <laughs> you can't cut that. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. What's your story? What's my story? What's your story with all that you? Yeah. Who did you, who did you relate to most in the movie? I related to all of them. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Even the washed up Marilyn Monroe character. Well, not her because she's not talented like I am. But well, I was going to say that's why I brought her up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know when we yeah. watched the movie at the beginning, you started texting me. God, I'm just like Eve. <laughs> And you know what? That blew up in your fucking face. No, you know what? Truth to it, I kept saying it. Kept, kept <laughs> fucking the entire movie. She's just like me, for real. <laughs> Hold it close to my heart. <sighs> it, it is an excellent fucking movie. It was absolutely excellent. I, my jaw dropped on several occasions. I like when a movie's not just about, like, theater, but when it's about theater. You know what I mean? Theater. It's about, like, theater. Theater, T-A-H, theater. I, I, it's, I, I love when movies are about that. Because that's when you get like the most fucking pearl-clutching, fox-skin-draping, you know what I mean? Attitudes are at an all-time high. Yeah, I loved All About Eve. I was very, and I, and, I, and I commented to you, hey, this would probably make for like a great 
stage show, wouldn't it? And you responded saying, well, it hasn't so far. Uh, so now we're watching a plot. <laughs> yeah, that was a little uh, surprise on you. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, truly, that was how I found out what applause was about. I, I literally think you responded, wait a minute, all applause is all about Eve? Yeah. And, like, watching the thing, too, I started watching this, and I was like, okay, so let's see let's see where I can draw the parallels. And then it starts off by saying, introducing Margot Channing, and I went, oh, word? This is, like, a direct fucking... I texted you, I was like, oh, wait, so this is just, like, a direct lift of the movie? Like, this is, like, a direct modernization? It's not a lift of the movie. Oh, they didn't have the rights to the movie. That's an interesting to the names. That's an interesting starting point. They had the rights to a short story, "The Wisdom of Eve," that the movie All About Eve is based on, and so everything that was in the short story they could use. Everything that was not in the short story they could not use at the beginning of rehearsals. And Fox 20th Century said, absolutely, no, you're not doing this. We're not giving you the rights to do this. You have no rights. They went ahead, and it was Bacall. They said, we'll take the left. It, it was Bacall, and it, it, that, that's why some decisions were made. Like, you'll notice George Sanders' character isn't really in applause, because that character was really inventive for the movie. Mm-hmm. Didn't exist in the short story, so they couldn't use them. They were in previews out of town, and 20th Century Fox, I think, realized it was going to be a hit, and that it wasn't embarrassing. Sure. And we're like, we want in? They called them up, and they said, you know what? We're giving you rights. <laughs> Cobden and Green, who wrote the book, they did not write the lyrics. They're normally lyric writers. They didn't write the lyrics here. Cobden and Green said, fuck them. We're done with our job. Sure. And so Strauss and Adams were sitting around like, we gotta do something. And so they turned fast in your seatbelts. It's gonna be a bumpy night. Yep, into, into a, a fucking song. musical number. I into knew it. I fucking yeah. knew it. I knew that that... Oh, man. That's how that happened. It shouldn't be a musical number. It's not... It's like the one bum, truly bum song in the score. But... It's like if there was a song in Beetlejuice called My Whole Life is a Dark Room. Like, it's just taking a famous line and making a song out of it. But, like, Comden and Green were, like, we're absolutely not updating the book to be more like the movie. And Strauss and Adams were like, everyone's expecting this. We now have the rights to do this. So you're not going to do it. We'll do it's it. So, it's, it's so fucking stupid. The line got applause anyway. Well, what were you going to do? Comden and Green said we're done. I guess. I guess. How'd you see... Wh- you know, this is the second, I think, Comden and Green musical I'd ever seen. Really? What was yeah. the first? Uh, Singing in the Rain. On stage? Yep. Was that them, or was that just we did the movie? It was a direct lift of the screenplay. You looked at the poster for the Singing in the Rain tour, and it said screenplay by Comden and Green. And I said, am I seeing a screenplay on this stage? Guess what, Daniel? I was. That is shocking. No, it's not. They can do whatever the fuck they want in Britain and no one will call them out on it. Well, that's true. We're two seconds away from Imelda Staunton as Eve. In applause. As Eve. Mm-hmm. Not even as Margot, as Eve. Not even as Margot, as Eve. Margot is, like, younger than Eve. Like, 
Um, Applause is a musical. Is it? Yes, it is. And an entertaining one at that. So I should first couch my statement because you said, I said that All About Eve hasn't made a good stage show. And I do stand by that. It has not made a good stage show yet. But Applause is a lot of fun. I enjoyed Applause. I enjoyed it a great deal, yeah. It was a it was a very enjoyable time that wasn't objectively good. Mm-hmm. Um, you said something originally, which, tell me if this is jumping the gun too much, but you sent me a text along the lines of, this was written for a star, and people wanted to see a star on stage, and they were able to through this, and it did well on Broadway, it recouped, and then it closed. Uh, and that's the purpose that applause filled. Uh, yeah, it completely filled its purpose. It was entertaining. Everyone had a good night out. Everyone, Lauren Bacall's making a big Broadway musical debut. Can she sing? We don't know. Let's go find out. And she has major star wattage. Everyone had a nice time. Everyone made money. It, it did what it was supposed to do. There's always, like, this notion of, like, yeah, you just grab all the most talented people in the room, you put them together, tell them to make a musical, whatever comes out, people will see it, they'll like it, and then you move on. You know? It's like you just, like, kind of slap together the show with the people who really know how to make the show, and it just happens, and then it stops happening. And you leave the theater, and you say, I had a great night, and then you don't think about it again. Applause kind of feels like one of those musicals. It's maybe... I feel like it's the first time we've had, like, one of those kinds of musicals on this podcast. Well, we both saw... Mr. Saturday Night, which I honestly think is, like, a decent yeah. modern yeah. comparison point. Like, Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Mr. Saturday Night, well, they can now see it on Broadway HD. We actually haven't talked about the Broadway HD, but we both saw it in person. It was enjoyable. Is it already out? It's already out. Um, <laughs> oh, fuck, I never even noticed. Yeah. It was enjoyable. Everyone that worked on it was professional. Was it the most exciting thing? No. But was it a solid evening of entertainment? Yes. Is it something that's going to be revived? No, but you don't always have to have those shows. I liked Mr. Saturday Night actively less than I liked uh, Applause. There you go. And I think it just comes down to like the sparkle of the writing. You know, I think there was just something in the air. Well, there's that more of a there there's more of a plot too. True. There's more of a plot, True. but it, it is a star vehicle, and I don't know how many star vehicles we've done. We did War Paint, which was a double star vehicle, and I think I even used applause as an example. And I said, when you do star vehicles, they aren't that concerned with plot. Even for All About Eve, which is a plot-heavy property. Mm-hmm. It's not that concerned with plot. It's giving you some nice moments with the star. It's giving you the definite story beats that you need to complete the story, but it's not getting in the hedges and the mechanics of how everything's working. Yeah. If that makes sense. Well said. And that's Absolutely. going into the book, so why don't we just go into the book? Sure. Uh, Comden and Green wrote the book, who are, you know, most famous for, of course, their work in Follies in Concert. Um, no! <laughs> What, no. no! How dare you? Comden and oh. Green have done a million different shows. They did well, On they the Town. Stuff? They did On the Town. Which they were... I have been trying to fucking schedule since the nexus of this goddamn podcast. You had it on the schedule once and you were the person that removed it. What? I can't remember what for, but I do remember that at this point I was just worried that you weren't going to say anything. 
No, I mean, I said it wasn't a show I liked very much. That's really jumping the gun. <laughs> but... Well, guess what, folks? Next week it's on the town. Baby. <laughs> no, no, back it's to not. Back. No, it is not. <laughs> um, they were brought in to fix Peter Pan, Mary Martin's Peter Pan. Oh, what? They've done a lot of shows. They did A Doll's Life, which was a huge flop, but I like it. Uh-huh. I like it a lot. <laughs> and they also, of course are very popular screenplay writers. I, I've seen a million of their movies, and I'm sure everyone yeah. has. Except yeah, you. Yeah. I mean, Well, I saw Singing in the Rain, and you know what? That's a start. <sighs> You're so behind culturally. I weep for you sometimes. It, the, the book is... Typical Comden in green. It's filled with a bunch of quips. It's filled with a bunch of laugh lines. It's an old... Uh, yeah, it's an old idea of what a musical theater book is. If not even musical musical comedy. It's an old musical comedy. Yeah, absolutely. In that you have the song, you get into the song well, you have something of a plot, the plot goes fine, but really what it's about is getting those jokes in between the songs. Yeah, absolutely. Though this wasn't such a joke-heavy book, I found. That's because there's a lot of plot that they have to shove in. Because people know the plot so well. Because people know the plot and because it's a very plot-heavy property. But again, they don't get into the weeds. They go for a joke rather than explaining the plot moment. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it, it's not a perfect book, uh, for sure. And I think chiefly what it comes down to is that there's a lot of like wasted real estate. It, like like that, that musical comedy style of writing disadvantages a lot of the story because it just sort of speaks story beats and then has a bunch of jokes around the story beats Mm -hmm. and even then it's not like joke after joke after joke but it's sort of like oh plot beat let's talk about it for a bit okay next plot beat let's talk about it for a bit no 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 no. plot beat let's talk about it a bit button it with a joke next plot beat yeah exactly exactly whereas the the thing that always gets it for me i think the scene that's like most representative of it is the final scene of act one where in the movie, you have this slow, active discovery, right? Margot walks in to the theater, and there's someone outside going, oh, didn't you know that she's already in there? They've already gone through the stuff. They're already... She just gave a performance. It was remarkable. And then she walks in, and then there's a whole confrontation, and you learn more as the scene envelops. Instead, it just sort of plainly... Like, it's just stated right at the beginning. Oh, wow, we just did, a, we just did an audition, and you performed so perfectly. And then they just talk about it for... 10 minutes well but also in the movie you had the marilyn monroe character which again didn't exist in the short story so she's not in the musical right and so there's more to explain in the movie it's a longer scene and it's some of the best dialogue of the movie and it's i think Uh one of the longest scenes in that movie and here you gotta drive to the end of act one right i mean it's already been like 75 minutes yeah, you gotta drive to the end of Act 1, we're an hour and ten into it, you've got about seven minutes at most to button this up. Right. It's a very top-heavy book, too. It's, uh, the first act is about, like, 80, like, 75, 80 minutes, and then the second act is, like, 40. But, you know, old musical comedy, and still, to an extent, musical theater structure, you build up, you build up, you build up, you build up to the end of Act 1, and you cut straight through to the ending when you come back from intermission. So you don't want to stop for any fat. And you can tell that they 
are hurrying as fast as they can to the end of the show. Yeah. And that's the biggest change for me. It ends up being a lot less women's lib, to use a 1970s term, women's lib. Where did sure. that came from? Um, <laughs> yeah, the show ends with Margot Channing giving up her career to keep her man. And that is yeah. kind of the plot of the movie-ish. But it wasn't necessarily, like, it was a more considered thing that she had to weigh out with long dramatic monologues in the movie. And, um, you didn't think that she was giving up her career. And here she's singing an entire song that being a housewife is greater than being a star. Yeah, it's weird. And so if there's a big change in the plot, that is it. And I think part of that is done for expediency's sake. Because, again, you don't have the long dramatic monologues. And you don't have the long trials and deliberations the character has in the movie. So if you're doing a buttoned-up version of those, you have to kind of take a buttoned-up version the audience is familiar with to end the show. Career versus housewife. Okay, they know that. It's a bit bleak. Yeah, it's a bit bleak. Um... It's fun though. It's fun, like you know, if they they've got the it's it sort of feels like Comden and Green could sort of like write write a book like this with their eyes closed, you know? Yeah, yeah. It very much feel like they have the vernacular, they have the rhythm, they have the punchiness, sort of like innately to them, and it makes for like anything that they write to be just like innately entertaining of that virtue alone. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, and like for that, you're never not entertained. You're never bored. You're never sort of left astray. It's fun stuff at the very least. You know, I will say, thinking of another show they wrote, A Doll's Life, that uh-huh. is not a musical comedy at all. At all. It's not mm-hmm. even a comedy. Musical drama. It's a Hell Prince musical. <laughs> yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, you get where that's going. As many sh- problems as that show has, and I do hope we cover it one day, as many problems as that show has, and it has many, it is never boring. Not for a second. There's an overabundance of ideas, but it is never boring. Yeah, I don't know. Anything else you'd like to comment on about the book? <sighs> what was this closing line you love so much? You want to co- quote that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I lamented to Dan that it was... Uh... Oh, oh, we, we could get to this all together. Uh, Dan hit me with a bit of trivia, which is always fun because he means that he knows I'm not going to get it. Um, mm-hmm. Where he asked me, quick, tell me right now, how did this make Broadway history? Uh, and he sent that to me just as I was finishing the show. So I said, did it go down for having the greatest closing line of any musical ever? That line, in fact, is Margot Channing looking out to the audience and screaming, Eve, you four-star bitch! Thank you! <laughs> Which is just... It's... It's 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 on par with, like, uh, uh, have my cake and eat it too, no thanks to daddy. You know, I went into, like, my whole dissertation about that lyric. It's, like, on par with that kind of musical theater chattiness. <laughs> I hey, think it's a perfect I fucking line. No thanks to daddy. Uh... <laughs> but that's not that's not why it made history. I found I found it was not why. You, you did great on that one. That was a great moment thanks. in the podcast. Sure. No, I was really happy with it. No really happy, to Daddy. 
Go back and listen to it, folks. It's a good episode. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. The, the history, or at least the history they claimed at the time, was that this was the first out gay man and, like, out in the front in a Broadway musical. And that I think this was the year after Boys in the Band. It's 1970, and Stonewall's 1969. And it elicited gasps when the character, the Thelma Ritter character, which is here... Mario Cantone. Yeah, but what's the character's name? Mario Cantone. No, because it was... Mario Cantone. It's not Mario Cantone. Dwayne, it's Dwayne, but I'm going to refer to him as Mario Cantone. You shun the great legacy of Leroy Reams, who originated the part. What I know about Leroy Reams is that I keep seeing his picture on the 54 Below calendar, and that's about it. Well, he was the original Dwayne, and... I can tell! He directed the last Carol Channing revival of Dolly, and he was great friends with Jerry Herman, and he was in 42nd Street, the original Broadway run, for, like, the entire run. And he replaced Roger Bart and the producers. Oh! He was there. Actually, Leroy Reeves was sitting next to Ethel Merman when they both went to Woman of the Year. He was sitting next to Ethel Merman. He went to the opening of Woman of the Year, a new Lauren Bacall musical that she did after Applause, and they got there on opening night. Ethel Merman sitting there, the opening number, and Lauren Bacall in her inimitable vocal stylings, I am Woman of the Year. And she went to Year. And Ethel Merman, in front of the entire opening night audience, involuntarily screamed, Jesus Christ! (laughs) (laughs) He was there, and you besmirked him. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I did not know he was a part of musical theater history. Yes. They claim that he's the first out gay character, and I seem to remember... I think Wolf and Hare, they intimate that he's gay, but aren't, like, open, open about it. This one, it elicited gasps when Dwayne said, I can't go to the opening night party, I have a date tonight. And Margot Channing responds, bring him along! <gasps> gasps! They couldn't believe. What year did it come out? 1970. And Stonewall was in 1969. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, holy shit. Yeah. I don't know how to segue out of this. Well, that's the book. Yeah, that's the book. And there's also a score by... There is a score by uh, Strauss and Adams. Strauss and Adams, who did Bye Bye Birdie. Were they the fucking people who did fucking Superman musical? They did It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman. The score is pretty fun. Pretty good. Pretty solid. It's a, pretty... It's, it's a great score. It's a, it's a pretty good score. I didn't. I didn't love it, but I liked it a lot. I mean, on a technical level, it's not the most high-reaching. But you know what, though? It is interesting. It, it feels like it, like, a- anticipated the, like, oncoming cultural sound of the 70s. You listen to that overture, and you're like, yeah, this is a thoroughly 70s score, and this is just the beginning of the decade. Yeah, it's not, It's slightly ahead of its time. I'd say it sounds about 1972. Like, maybe, yeah. Uh, mm. I found that interesting. Uh... It, it kind of 
is similar to the book in that way, in that it feels like there's just like an innateness to it. Like it just feels like it's inherently of this style, of this nature. It feels like it would like poured out of these composers. You know what I mean? I think it's one of the last scores, honestly, in musical theater that was really contemporary. Maybe, yeah. Like, even now when we have pop musicals, they're musical theater synth pop. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this feels somewhere on the line, the connective line of Promises, Promises. Yeah, I was going to say, like, in the back rack. Applause and then company. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then Sondheim went in a different direction, and everyone kind of started to follow. I, I, uh, although Stephen Schwartz, to give him credit, is true. Pippin is also pretty, in that vein. Pippin is pretty popish. Yeah. Or folksy popish. But the score is the the, the score has a couple tunes, it has a couple bangers. Oh, they're all. I, what I was saying, it's not like the most technical. As I mean. We covered rags on this podcast. That's Charles Strauss. And it's the same Charles Strauss. It's insane to think that those two are the same person. Uh, You don't have anything in applause like the Kaddish that's in rags. Fucking for sure. Um, But as far as making a good pop song of the era and making it appropriate for the character... And doing the amount of storytelling that's expected of you when you're writing a musical in the 1970s more than does its job, does it attractively, and it's just fun to listen to. Mm-hmm. It, it, it feels of its time. It feels very entertaining. It has, a, it has a good pulse to it. And there are a couple songs that stick with you. I really liked the title number. I really liked... The other Joe Allen number, which I won't say the title of. She's no longer a Rose Lee. <laughs> sure, sure. Mm-hmm. She's, no, she's or I guess, to keep it in the universe of Broadway, she's no longer a legacy. I um, don't I don't like that because the legacy robe is because you've had a lot of credits. And ju- y- you could be one of those people and have your first credit. The kind of Rose Lee they are talking about in that song. It's just a direct translation is what it is. So I don't think the term can apply that unilaterally. I really liked Hurry Back. I did too. That was a lovely, lovely, lovely song. (laughs) You know when you would not be saying that? What? If you heard Lauren Bacall singing it. Oh, what's the story there? Well, I think I will sing the original key right now. Hurry back, hurry back, there's no life at all when you're not here to scold me or hold me or something. Hurry back, hurry back. Here, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've never heard this before. Hurry back. Oh my God. Hurry back, hurry back. Jesus Christ. It's no Life at all. She sings lower than you do. Try try and sing that. Life at all. Life at all. Fuck, that's a lower note that I can Life hit. Life at all when you're not here. Life at all when you're Scold me, hold Why did, me. Did she do that of her me. own volition? That's her voice. 
And that was the point that I was going to make about this production and this score. They're also writing for the very unique voice of Lauren Bacall being yeah. a bass baritone. But alive! But alive! Those are her high notes, and those are literally, but alive! I was in the right key! I was in the right key! But alive! But alive! Live! Live! Yeah. I have a higher vocal range than Lauren Bacall. I never knew that. Uh huh. Well, when you smoke three or four packs a day and have your high point coffee. Yeah. High point. Y'all gonna love it. Her and Stretch. It's not the easiest voice to write for. They wrote for it well, and it turns out when you have a more seasoned vocalist in the role, they're still good songs. <laughs> Uh-huh. I, I hearing hurry back and hearing Christine Eversol doing hurry back. It's like, oh, I never knew this was a good song. It's actually a good song. It's that story <laughs> to go for another musical from the year of 1970. It's the story of Coco and Catherine Hepburn did Coco. Uh huh. You're you're on it with the impressions today. Clever Mademoiselle. That's how she sang. And Daniel Derrieu replaced Catherine Hepburn and Coco. And they went to the dress rehearsal of Coco. Andre Previn did the score. Uh, Alan J. Lerner did the book and the lyrics. And about halfway through Act 1 of the dress rehearsal, Alan J. Lerner shook Andre Previn and said, Oh my god, Andre! You've actually written a musical! <laughs> wow. Yeah, um, it, it's a good song, and I did not expect it to be a good song because it had never been sung like that, and like yeah. given that much vocal styling. And that's not to say that Lauren Bacall can't sing; she can. It's just in her way. Yeah, in her very unusual way. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, She's made us whole steps downward from the keys that the songs were composed in. And, yeah, I heard, allegedly, they had a fuck of a time trying to figure out one of a kind for this production. Because mm. it's written for a man, and it's written for a bass baritone who was Lauren Bacall. And so now <laughs> that you had Christine Ebersol, who is oftentimes the soprano singing, they couldn't find a key and they couldn't figure out the harmonies. It took a lot of work and callbacks to figure out the right key and to figure out the right person to cast it who's going to have like the baritone heft but have the tenor high notes that if you put the song in Christine Ebersole's key, it's still going to sound all right and not forced out of him. Yeah. It was not an easy process from what I understand. Pulled it off. Yeah, pulled it off. Pulled it off. Power to him. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, score overall, I don't have the most to say about it. I just liked it. It was good. Did its job. Yeah. It's fun. It's. I think I've played the LP like three times, maybe four times. I'd play it again. It's a hoot. It's a nice listen. And dare I say, a holler. Yeah. Good stuff. Onwards to this production. We, we, we've, we've talked about a few shows at Encores before. Yes? Mm-hmm. We kind of, we understand the gist at this point. 
they slap these things together in a week. You're not going to have a lot of time for very elaborate staging or really any staging at all. Your emphasis is just kind of to get these actors on stage, let them know their material, and then work out some uh, character dynamics and then put that on stage. Mm-hmm. Maybe get a couple props or some set pieces for them to sit on. I must say, I think this is the most I've liked an Encore's production we've seen so far. Really? Yeah, for sure. I think there might have been possibly less concentration on the like interpersonal dynamics between the performers here. But in service of that, I think it's the most like an Encore's production has felt like a full show, sort of. Not that it really did in its entirety, but it felt a, it felt a lot closer to it. It felt like there was like an overarching directorial eye, which I appreciated. Wow. Uh, yeah. Put James Lapine's shit on blast. I've never seen Merrily. James Lapine did the a new brain that we saw. Yeah, well, that was a. Uh off-center, which even that was more like a production. They had a longer rehearsal time on that one. Well, yeah, I think this is the least production that Noncores has had. This is the least production? Yes. What do you attribute that to? Like Just like the lack of set? or it, There's not much set. There's suggestions of set pieces here and there. It, it's mainly that the actors are carrying the scripts and they are using the scripts. Yeah. And it's like not in a haphazard way. But they are referencing them here and there. I was fine with that. I mean, like, that's... I was, too. That's what I I go into expecting. That's what it was. They were concert productions, and the understanding was they'll be holding scripts. And I think it becomes something different when you do a full production, which is essentially what Encores is right now. Uh Uh-huh. They're all full-to-the-brim productions. (laughs) And everything's staged, everything's choreographed. They aren't as spontaneous, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because everyone's holding on for dear life. And, and that might have been that good. might have been an element of it that I appreciated the most too, that it didn't feel like there should have been something else, you know? Mm-hmm. This never felt like there's something more that could have been, there's something more that should have been. Fucking choreography alone, I thought was like I was watching that. I was like, "Holy shit! How do they have the time for this?" Well, actually, I, that's the first point that I want to make. This is directed and choreographed by Kathleen Marshall, who was actually the artistic ah. director of Encores from 1996 yes. to 2000. Yes, and she still occasionally does Encores. This is obviously 2008. She basically gives you a handbook on this is how to choreograph for Encores. Sure. And if you watch it, it's a lot of movement. It's a lot of movement that adds up and goes somewhere. But it's not very technical. Yeah. Nothing is that technical. It's all a bunch of simple movements that anyone can pick up. And I mean, like, like they were, they were dancing have... for a while, and then all of a sudden Christine Ebersole, like, meets them where they are. It's like, holy shit. Yeah. Because they're moving. They are doing a lot of movement, but it's... It's all popular dance moves, especially for that scene you're talking about. Um, And then in applause, where they need something more technical, 
they'll take a group of three we'll take the three best dancers in the cast and they will do the full dancing and then when it goes to the full cast it'll become something more simple or they'll all they'll all do a kick line it's very smart in that you can tell exactly how she knew exactly how much time she had to rehearse the dance scenes and she knew exactly how much choreography she can do for those dance scenes and still yeah. have everyone keep up. Yeah, you're right. I was genuinely really impressed with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, though, I, though I will say, like, something that did stick out to me th- is that it didn't necessarily feel like it was a very together company. It did Re- kind of feel like a bunch of isolated like, performers. They had, like, five days of rehearsal. What do you well, expect? Well, of course. But, yeah, but, like, you know, there have been tighter companies on on course productions. The production of Anyone Can Whistle, I felt, was a tighter ensemble than this. I think this is the earliest contract that we've had because the Encore's contract got revised. Uh, how do you mean? They got a couple extra rehearsals days. Was this, by any chance, was this the same season as, uh, when did, when did Gypsy happen? Gypsy was not part of, uh, that was their Summer Stars series. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's where they have the longer rehearsal periods. Right, right, right. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, this is the uh, year after Follies. This is the year after Follies. And this is also, uh, I think, immediately but before the... No No Nanette. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Same so... season as No No Nanette. So yeah, I guess this is the f- the earliest one we- that we've covered, at least that the audience knows about. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that, we'll get to that, we'll get to that, we'll get to that. But... Yeah, maybe that's what it is. I don't know. It it did very much feel like every performer was an island here, which I would have thought that would have been your priority if you're rehearsing this. You know, getting the getting the the company to operate together. It's a big show to undertake. That's true. That's true. It's a big show because not only are you figuring out Lauren Bacall's keys, you're doing a slight book at it, um, which all the shows do. But there's it, there was an attempt at an applause revival in about 98 i want to say that am ryan king choreographed it ended up not coming into broadway it did its pre-broadway run and they rewrote a decent amount of the show from what i understand for that and so they're probably also weighing in are any of these rewrites actually something we want to include here right so you're dealing with multiple versions of the show. Also, the biggest thing, your leading lady is very ill. Yeah. Ebersol had laryngitis for, like, the entire rehearsal period. And I don't know exactly how much she was able to do in rehearsal. And I do know when she got into performances, and there's an audio, I think, from the first performance here, she grew in the role immensely over the run. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't much voice at all in the beginning of the run, which is fine because it's a Lauren Bacall musical, actually. Right. <laughs> but there were a lot of things that were hampering them. I think they did an excellent job considering. Considering the circumstances, for sure. Mm-hmm. And, like, you can tell that she's recovering from something but you can't tell that much but we'll get to that later we'll get to that later it was was, i i I found it a very enjoyable production 
I still think it's my favorite thing I've seen in encores, including, frankly, uh, the one that I saw in person. Into the Woods? Yeah. It's a fun show. The actors are having fun on stage. You can tell they kind of threw it together, but they're very talented. So they're able to throw things together and it still comes off well. And I'm, and I'm kind of happy with this being encores. You know, mm-hmm. a bunch of actors that you really love coming together last minute, performing material at a high quality of presentation, and just sort of like singing it out at you, you know? It's mm-hmm. it's material that you're never going to hear the full glory of because no one will ever do it. So you're going to get this incredibly talented crop to just come together for a week and give it to you. It's a perfect show for encores, too. For because, sure, for sure. Because, as you said, no one's going to be reviving this. Yeah. And, you know, you, you listen to that overture alone, you're like, fuck, how could you ever... How could you shrink this, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it's... It's a it is a fun show that did exactly what it needed to do in its time and it is of its time and because it is of its time it's not really viable but yep. it's fun to sit through so it's exactly the type of show that is perfect perfect yep. for encores. I can't imagine I'll ever see an actual production of this show ever in my life. No. No. Uh and that's exactly what Encores is, sh- should be for. Mm-hmm. So, hurrah. That's all I gotta say there. Uh, do you wanna get to this cast? Sure. Let's talk about, let's start with everyone's favorite Jew. Uh, everyone's favorite, why did I say that so anti-Semitically? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You better let's, take that again. Yeah. Let's start this off with uh, everyone's favorite Shlemiel, uh, Chip Zion. Chip Zion. We've covered him before on the podcast. Yes, in Carolina Change. He's solid in this. I keep forgetting how brutal Chip Zion can be. You know? I keep forgetting that he's not good old chummy Mr. It Takes Two, you know? He gets kind of fucking nasty in this show, doesn't he? A little bit, here and there. A little bit. He like, And it gets like, it's like, it's like a bit brutal and like, fuck. No, you had it in you. Am I right in guessing and kind of remembering that his part is hurt the most by the cuts to the book they make? Like, it happens to be, like, a sentence here and a sentence there, but for some reason they're all sentences that his character says. Maybe. That actually, that might be the case. That might be the case. He's, he's, he's kind of a very minor character here which is surprising considering that he ends up with the girl kind of for a little bit for about like 45 seconds and him and his wife which is played by kate burton here in the movie they're these major major characters and those two characters were really beefed up for the movie. And because they were beefed up for the movie, you couldn't use any of that beefing up material when you did the musical. And yeah. you didn't have the rights when you were writing it. Exactly it. He, uh, he, he's, he, he suffers a bit due to those, but he's, uh, he's still good. He's still Chip Zion. It's Chip Zion. It's Chip, Chip Zion. He's never gonna, he's never gonna bore you. Yeah. He's doing his reliable thing, and we love it. Yeah. We uh, love and to Kate, see it. And Kate Burton played uh, his opposite, you said? 
And Kate Burton was Karen, the wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt like she was, like, yeah, I agree with you that she was even more. Oh, she has five lines. She has five fucking lines. Which is it. fucking baffling considering she's the narrator of the story as it's popularly known. She's one of two or three. Well, yeah. But, like, God, she's really just, like, almost an incidental yeah. character. Truly, she has, like, her scene that is the gas tank scene, and that's about it. Yeah. She just kind of appears here and there otherwise. Mm-hmm. Kind of shocking. But she does But she does good with what she has. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else do we like here? Uh, did you know that Michael Park had black hair? Yes! I never knew this. What are you talking about? I never knew this. I thought Michael Park was born about? with white hair. No. No. He has he has gray hair now? He's had gray hair for years. I did not know that. I mean, Google a picture of him and Dear Evan Hansen. Like, since earlier than then, oh, he's had white hair. Oh, you think I'm Googling pictures of Dear Evan Hansen? Michael Park is very good. Michael Park is very good. He's in a part that was originated by Len Cariou. Len Cariou. Who, I believe, had left the Stratford Festival to appear in a Broadway musical. It was very scandalous. Actually, I think he left, like, Stratford, Connecticut or something. There are different Stratfords. I only learned about this recently. There are different Stratford festivals, so. Michael Park, though, is who we actually got. And Michael Park is fucking solid. I did not know he was, like... Not charming. You have such a weird... Do you only know him from Dear Evan Hansen? Yeah. Okay, you have a very skewed vision of him then. Perhaps. What else would this I This is like quintessential Michael Park. Like, when you think of Michael Park, this is pretty much it. He does his reliable... Um, I hate to say shtick, because it's not really shtick, but he sings beautifully. He's charismatic as hell. He's using all of his daytime soap charm. It works. Works very well. He's mm-hmm. very gifted. He's very talented. He's very charming. He's very uh, suave. Mm-hmm. That then takes us to uh, the main star of the attraction, obviously, the sort of most central figure, the one that everyone's talking about in this production. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mario, Mario Cantone! Cantone! Mario Cantone, the star of, the star of applause. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the first time we've... No, it's not. It's the second time we've covered Mario Cantone. We previously huh? covered him in Vampire Lesbians of Sodom. Oh, he was in, yeah, that was a guest appearance for like five seconds. Yeah. He's fucking hilarious. He's just he a very is. funny guy. He's not even given the funniest, like, material here, but it's very much like a Rosie O'Donnell at Encores, where it's just like, yeah, they're performing old material where they weren't necessarily, like, the most featured character or whatever. There's not, like, a huge show-stopping thing for them necessarily, but God, are they making a fucking meal out of it. He's fun. He's funny. He's a lot of fun. He gets his Catherine Hepburn impression in there. He gets his <laughs> Betty Davis impression in there. It works. The The second number that he has is also a very definite sort of attention grabber. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic performance. I love it a lot. Yep. Mario Cantone should do more shit. <sighs> he was in, what was that, Bliss? Was he? Yeah. Oh. He was in some show that was in an out-of-town tryout, and then the pandemic happened. Huh, I didn't know that. And they were supposed to move into New York, but... But then the pandemic happened. Yeah. Yikes. It's a shame. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
now to the actual the actual talks of the town here the the gals at the front playing little Edie we have Aaron Davy this is not little Edie oh sorry sorry who's she playing she's playing little Evie oh my bad my bad <laughs> that would have been way fucking smarter if I jumped to that joke mm-hmm. God I don't have lace wit I have lace on me wit. today. Um, I always have Les Sweet. Aaron Davey is quickly becoming one of our most reviewed I people. I had a mental breakdown when you I was did. like... She was singing One Halloween. And <laughs> I just messaged you like, is she the person we've covered most on this podcast? Is you she really? You were like, really? actually... I need to stress, listener. It was... Like, like he was actually having a breakdown. Not that she isn't lovely, but... Wait, are we officially, like, her Davy is the person we've covered most in the history of our podcast? Aaron Davy? Because you would think it's, I don't know, <laughs> Cheetah Rivera. Cheetah Rivera we've covered twice. Yeah, uh, Nathan Lane, you would think it's one of the big, made, huge legends, and Aaron Davey keeps popping up in things. Uh, she's currently tied with uh, Patty Lapone for most covered on the podcast. <laughs> no one else has reached for. Brian Darcy James is close. Sutton Foster's fucking close. Idina Menzel oh. is close. It's kind of harrowing out here, man, not gonna lie to you. God, uh, and we talked about Sutton and our Tony episode. Is that one of them? Does that count? Tell me no, that doesn't count. No, it doesn't because then it would be five that would, or four. That would be four. Jesus We Christ. won't count the Tony episodes, but. Aaron Davey, Aaron Davey, Aaron Davey. We've covered I, I her realized... in Grey Gardens. We covered her in A Little Night Music. We covered her in I, Diana. I... And we're covering her in Applause. I realized we've covered Bernadette Peters once. And we've covered Sutton Foster three times. And we are officially part of the problem. Yep. We are the problem. A little bit. We are we're, the problem. We're part of. You never would have cast her in Music Man. You can't put that on us. Yeah, fair enough. My bad. Um, <laughs> Aaron Davey is lovely as ever in this. You know, I think this is the best she's sounded. Sure. Uh, I think she comes out best among this ensemble. I think she's like the most impressive of the bunch, probably. She sings beautifully. She sings beautifully. She acts wonderfully. Um, I don't think that she had the full rehearsal time to really work out all of the imaginations and thought processes of the character, but... All of the, the instincts are, are 100% there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I also think of the sort of all about Eve to applause changes, I kind of like what they've done to Eve the least. Yeah. Like, I really don't like what they've done to her. Um, well, I couldn't believe watching All About Eve, and I can't t- tell you how many times I've seen that movie, watching it with you this last time, I think Anne Baxter has a bigger part than Betty Davis. I honestly think Anne Baxter has a bigger part than Betty Davis in that movie. And here it's definitely that Christine Ebersole has a bigger part than Aaron Davey. Not even close. It's like not even close. 
Um, something else that I really didn't like about what they did here. Something It's something I commented to you about during All About Eve. The movie finished, and I said, you know what I loved about that? Never once did you see either of them perform. Mm-hmm. You didn't see uh, you didn't see either of them as an actress ever at all at any point because that's so not the point. That's so it's it doesn't matter how good they are. What matters is how good everyone else says they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that audition scene happens, and it opens, and you see, you see Eve uh, acting, and like right out right there, the audience goes, "Okay, so now I know how I feel about Eve as an actress." Which I don't think you want. Well, to be fair, the movie opens and she's giving that acceptance speech. Yeah, but like, she's pretending to be a human at least. Like, like at that at that rate, that's as much of a performance as she gives throughout the entire movie. If her if her entire self is a performance, it's she's giving the same performance that she gives as herself. Okay. And, like, to that extent, sure, but you never see them on the stage is what I mean. You never see them playing a character. And here you do, and I didn't really like that. Well, how much did we really see? Here? Like, we saw, like, the end of a monologue, but at that same time... It was, like, two lines. It wasn't it enough is, to really make the actress an impression. It is, but you're shooting the foot there. You're shooting the actress in the foot because you then need to communicate, okay, Eve Harrington is the best actress you've ever seen, and you have to do it by jumping into the end of a powerful monologue, which is taking everyone's breath away. Go. Like, that's not fucking easy to do. It's like asking someone to start a show cry. You can't just ask someone to start in that place, you know? And yet so many do. For, for fuck's sake. It's a, it's for, <laughs> I, I was trying to get out, like, for some fucking reason, but instead for fuck's sake just came out. <laughs> <laughs> that is how I feel about it. For fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> for fuck's sake, they're crying. Curtain up. For fuck's sake, For they're fuck's crying. Sake, put it together, I wanted man. to have a nice evening of entertainment. Pretty soon, we're gonna have to hear about the Holocaust or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, all this being said, Eve Harrington is the most disadvantaged, and Aaron Davey rises to the top. Uh huh. Agree. So that's a testament to her. She's pretty lovely here. I uh, mean, Eve Eve Harrington is never lovely, but she's right. But Aaron Davey pot. does a good job. Mm-hmm. And so, we uh, wrap up on the unauthorized critic circle's favorite lunatic, uh, Christine Ebersol. Eber, not ever. I said Ebersol. I heard ever. I've got a stuffed fucking nose, Dan. Okay, it's cold season. Have some goddamn sympathy. <sighs> well, as Margot Channing says, I admit wow. I'm slightly cuckoo, but it's dull to be too sane. And who takes that to heart better than Christine goddamn Ebersol? Um, I remember, my, my, I think one of my favorite things that we've ever said on this podcast was something you said uh, during War Paint, where you said, this, this lunatic is in such great voice. She, well, <laughs> she's not necessarily the best voice because she has laryngitis here. Right. No, it's just like, I just always think about her. She is in like perpetually excellent voice. Even when she has laryngitis here, I mentioned this mm-hmm. little earlier, she has laryngitis. You can tell that she has something, but you cannot tell it's fucking laryngitis. You're like, okay, maybe she had like a catch in her throat. Maybe she had a cold. Maybe she ate the wrong biscuit before coming out. But like the voice has just like a power central to it that 
you're getting you're getting seventy five percent of here, for sure. Some performers sometimes are are only giving seventy five percent, and Christine Ebersole is sort of forced to give seventy five percent here. But that seventy five percent is like what most people's one ten are. You know. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh. I mean, you do have to look at the performance. She had laryngitis, and we can't hold that against her. No. Okay, she's probably sick because she never got any vaccines and she doesn't believe in medicine. Nope, not a drop, not a drop. But, okay, I I guess we can't really fault her for getting sick in the first place. As to why she Uh, got it. I would say you can directly Um, fault her, but in any case. uh, Anyway, you can tell. Let's be honest. You can tell, and you can tell because she is fighting for her fucking life in Welcome to the Theater. Like she turns bright red by the end of the song, and her voice like does crack in a minute. And there's even one vocal crack in this. Yeah, there is even a line of "Welcome to a life of laryngitis," and it's like, (laughs) okay, we're method acting that line today too, for sure. And it is so fascinating to see her fight for her life yeah that f- she, she wins the fight power to her she, there's not many fights that she wins but the yeah. cuckoo pulls it off the cuckoo comes together for sure she she's not like you know she's not necessarily doing so great on the hashtag oppressed millionaires front which is a hashtag that she followed uh, along with all the other fun ones like big bang hoax and uh gravity is a hoax um I'm not Water making those up. Bend. Water doesn't Water bend. Doesn't Hashtag bend. fake history. Hashtag idiots everywhere. You're telling me. Um, <laughs> but you know what? Yeah, that absolutely. Oh, I just have to say, when she showed up on Instagram again and acted like she never had an Instagram, <laughs> that was, I'm sorry, that was unintentionally the funniest fucking thing in yep, the world. For fucking sure. For fucking sure. No other Broadway performer could have pulled off comedy that great. <laughs> Hi, I'm new to Instagram. No, you're not. <laughs> She's never been. No, you're not. You're not new. Uh, what a you had to delete a, your account. <laughs> what a glorious, glorious Yahoo! I cannot wait for her follies to transfer. <laughs> <laughs> From Algeria, where were they? <laughs> From Aunt Rob Ashford's backyard all the way to Broadway. You know, she's great. She's, she gives you the diva experience. It's a star vehicle. She's very much the star performer. She's Yeah, she's very much the star. She's very much, like, front and center. You know, very much center person. Geocentricism uh, right in the direct oh, oh, Stop it. It's so easy! Um... Anyway, it's 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 a star performance. She's a star to her fucking veins. She growls a bunch. It's very fun. Although we don't really know what stars are because the Earth is flat. According very to good. Her. Very good. So, um, she sparkles. Let's say that. How pleasant. She's a she's a Yahoo, but gosh damn it, she's our Yahoo. <laughs> we created her. We made, we made her, and she can why. break us just as easily. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a good ensemble altogether. Like even the ensemble ensemble are fucking delightful. Mm-hmm. Um. Very very, very fun stuff. I liked I liked the cast altogether. 
Um, from that, we go into the video. Yep. You start. It's hard filming at City Center. We've said this yeah, before. Yeah, we've talked about this, yes. And so you're disadvantaged. This person does a good job. Okay, if they are downstage right in the corner, you don't see them. Other than that, it's good quality. I do have to say, though, whoever filmed this was rustling something against the camera. And it is my pet peeve because one of the most notorious people that make videos nowadays can't stop rustling things against their camera and the videos are unwatchable because you can't listen to their audio. So that is like a pet peeve of mine that was like definitely present here. I didn't notice rustling really, but I will say it, the mic picked up a shit ton of atmosphere to the point where lines were occasionally like outright indecipherable. I didn't start watching this with the libretto. I pick, I got the libretto like 10, 15 minutes in because I was just, I didn't have an idea what was being said. My subtitles! Um, I can't hear without my subtitles! But I fucking couldn't! But I fucking couldn't! Not a, I could. Hard, hardly a sentence. I could. I could. I sent you a clip, and you were like, I can't make out what this says. Okay, I dropped like maybe three sentences the entire show. The audio was a problem, but you could understand problem. it. We're on the same point. I didn't like the video. You didn't? I didn't like the video. I see that it is hard to film in city center and i think this is solid for what you could have done but i do think altogether it's uh, harder to watch video than not um it doesn't miss much the damage is like well the damage is mitigated there's a lot of close-ups in sort of not staging heavy moments Mm -hmm. um and those close-ups are usually pretty good. There's some obstruction where a lot of the stage is cut off and it always feels like there's something going on in the corner that you might be missing. Um, it, it, it does the best it can. It's just not the not the be- bestest ever time watching it in general. I don't know. I'd give it like a B-. minus. I'd give it a B. B-, minus, maybe even a C+. Plus. No, no. There is some trash out there that like is still okay, and that's worthy of its own grading yeah but like you look on the actual scale it, it doesn't fall into c territory okay speak for yourself anyhow how about applause that was a request i wasn't asking for your opinion how about some applause please fuck's sake no i don't feel like giving it to you now oh shit you don't give me any pitiful whatever i'm trying here uh applause i i had an a minus time you know what i had a b plus time i had a b plus time that's how i'll grade this i enjoyed it i might watch it again sometime Mm -hmm. watch the tv movie with bacall yeah i think i will lane carrie is not in it uh, you is not in it. Violence Against Canadians. Maybe I'll still watch it. Anyhow, I had a good time. I'm glad you did too. And folks, that about wraps up our discussion of uh, applause. 
Applause, applause, applause. And Dan. Mm-hmm. You know what's next, don't you? No, I don't. You don't? Come on, it's the most wonderful time of the year. We just finished that. No, 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 no. It's only no, beginning, no, 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 no. my friend. No, no, nope, that's for fucking sure. I said, I said most wonderful, not most underwhelming. Um, it, I was not underwhelmed. Don't fucking start with me. I won't rehash this with you. It's the it's the the event that everyone looks forward to at the end of every year. It's the thing that the pale imitation that is the Tonys are existed to replicate. It is none other than our annual Bertram Critter C. Awards. Critter Awards. Ber- the Bertram C. Critters, baby. We're back with our second annual. I can't remember what the actual number is that we developed in universe, but the podcast's second annual Critter Awards. And oh, this will be fun. Baby, we're gonna we're gonna be insane. I'm gonna come drunk. I'm not promising that. Um, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna be talking about the year in review. We're gonna be giving awards to our favorite shows and uh, lavishing show shit with praise. So join us next week. Join us next week, or else we're not friends with you anymore. If you enjoyed the episode, rate us, review us, and subscribe to us on your platform of choice. And if you have any recommendations, questions, or virtual flowers to send our way, email us at unccpodcast at gmail.com. The Unauthorized Criticable Podcast is unauthorized. The podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Applause! And all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyright of the respective trademark and copyright holders. The Unauthorized Critic Circle cannot help for locate or distribute the recordings discussed here. Thank you.